So I'm going to give you a word and I want you to just say out loud a word, any word that comes to your mind as you hear this word. Okay, if you're at home with a bunch of people, that's fine. You just do it all together. You ready for the word? Okay, the word is helplessness. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of the word helplessness? Well, we live in a world where there is a lot of serious stuff going on. And so it is very possible that some of you said the coronavirus or the quarantine, racism, George Floyd, or maybe perhaps it was just something not as big like playing a game and knowing that there's just no way you're going to win. There are so many things that we can feel helpless about, and I'm pretty sure that every single one of us has felt helpless at some point in our lives. Well, and that's why I think that the series that we're doing on the book of Daniel is so fitting at this point in our world history. Because Daniel, well, the series is called Daniel, or Dare to be a Daniel, and His Friends. And I'm going to be covering Daniel chapter 1, and especially in Daniel chapter 1, you can see that they had, they could feel helpless a lot. So we're going to start. I want to invite you to go to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. You can just listen as I'm reading through, but I want to ask you to open up your Bible and look through it as we read, because every word was inspired by the Holy Spirit and is there for a reason. And so I want you to be able to see it. So the first line of Daniel chapter one says, in the, first, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. If you were an original Hebrew speaker and you didn't know for some reason what was going on in Israel during this time, you would think, oh, well, this is gonna be a good story. Because the king, the name of the king Jehoiakim means the covenant king of God. So this must be a story about some powerful king of Judah. But your hopes are quickly shattered as you realize that that is not what's going on at all. Because the next line says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. However, just in case any reader would be tempted to assume that Nebuchadnezzar was this all-powerful ruler who conquered the land of Judah, Daniel adds, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Nebuchadnezzar is not the one in charge. God is. But it's not just Jehoiakim who's placed into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, but also it says some of the articles from the house of his God, which he carried into, says, the house of his God. In other words, the sanctuary service is dead. The Israelite people have rejected it. They have rejected God. They turned to idol worship because they wanted to be like the people around them. And so life became about positions and gain and entertainment. So this king brings these articles into 
his, the temple of his god. And the national god of the land of Babylon was Marduk, also known as Bel, or the Lord. Originally, this was the god of thunderstorms. Usually is pictured with this triangular spade. I'm sure you have seen the pictures because this is an emblem of fertility and vegetation. Because that's what they believe this God did. This God provided everything for them. The other thing, though, that I don't want us to miss is that it says that everything was done in the land of Shinar. There's another time that the land of Shinar is mentioned, and that is in the story of the Tower of Babel, which by the way, the, the word Babel and Babylon are the exact same word. But Daniel is using the land of Shinar to point us back to what happened at Babel, because at Babel, the people wanted to be like God, to take the place of God. Well, the same thing is happening here, where the kings in Babylon wanted to take the place of God. Let's go to verse 3 and 4. Then the king instructed Eshpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. The king brings back captives. And one of them is Daniel. I want you to imagine that you are Daniel. You are torn from your home, never most likely to see your parents again. You were never going to get another hug or a kiss from your mom or dad. You were probably never going to eat your favorite meal that your mom made. I know my mom makes some meals that she is the only one who can make them like that. Not only that, you come into a country where you don't know the language. If any of you have ever tried to learn another language, you know that it's not easy, especially the first, well, for me, it was the first couple years where they're just a blur. And I can't really remember much of what happened. When I came to the U.S., I knew the word yes and I knew the word no. But it's very difficult for you to use the, those two words if you don't understand the questions. I was so frustrated with not being able to learn English that I would get nosebleeds because I was determined that I was going to learn the language. But I had a loving family that came with me. They did not. And then on top of that, you see at the beginning of verse 3, it says that the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs. This is why the Bible scholars believe that because it says the master of the eunuchs, that most likely this means that they all had to become eunuchs as well. So imagine that you are torn from your family, never to see them again. You're walking thousands of miles to get to Babylon. Your life is falling apart. And then on top of that, when you get there, you get castrated and you know that you will probably never have a family in your life now. Talk about feeling helpless. 
You see, King Nebuchadnezzar was smart. He knew that the sooner he will assimilate these new people he's conquered into the life of Babylon, the less likely they will be to rebel. If they become Babylonian then, and accustomed to the life in Babylon, then they will not go back. They will not want to go back. And that's exactly what happens when they are told that they can go back. Only a very small portion of them goes back. Because they're used to their life in Babylon, they have become Babylonian. But there's one other thing I want you to notice. And in verse 4, right the, at the beginning, it says, These young men in whom there was no blemish. There are only two things in the Bible that are mentioned as having no blemish. And that is sacrifices and priests. Dr. Dukan wrote a book on Daniel. It's called Secrets of Daniel. And in it he explains that what is going on here is that the king, who is also seen as God, is wanting to make these young men priests of Babylon. They entered the best schools that Babylon had. They studied math and science. There are still things that we use from Babylon. They were incredibly intelligent and innovative. We still use their numbering system based on number six, 60 seconds, 60 minutes, 360 degrees. That all comes from them. Even today's horoscope comes from ancient Babylon. They studied astrology, astronomy, but they also were required to learn a minimum of three languages. Sumerian, which was the traditional sacred language. Babylonian, also called Akkadian, the national dialect of the Semites. And then Aramaic, which was the international language of business, kind of like English is today, because wherever you go in the world, if you speak English, you can communicate. That was the same thing with them, with Aramaic. In fact, that is why part of Daniel, about half of Daniel, is written in Aramaic, because Daniel wanted people from all over to be able to read this book. Let's read verse 5. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now again, I want you to pay attention to a word. It says the king appointed. The word in, in Hebrew there is the word vayamun. And the word vayamun means to determine. And it's used two other times in the Bible, in the book of Jonah, where God determines for the fish to swallow Jonah. And then the second time when God determines the plant to give Jonah shade. So the fact that Daniel uses it here is he wants us to pay attention to this. He says, look, what the king is doing, he's trying to take the place of God. He is determining what their lives are going to be like. And what I find really amazing in the book, in the book Secrets of Daniel from Dr. Dukan, he writes that, in fact, they were to sit down at the table and eat this meal with the king, but this was not just any meal. This was a ritual meal in the cult of Nebuchadnezzar. So if they were to sit down and eat this meal, they were also saying that, okay, we worship you, king. This was not just for nourishment. This was about making them loyal subjects of the king. They were submitting to the king. 
But in order to truly make them Babylonian and the Chaldean priests that they wanted them to be, the Babylonians did one more thing. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. Now from among those, and we finally hear the names of those who are coming, are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. Now Daniel means God is my judge. Whereas Belteshazzar means may Bel or Marduk preserve my life. Hananiah, grace of God, becomes Shadrach, order or command of Aku, and Aku was the Sumerian moon god. Mishael, who means who is like God, is changed to Meshach, who is like Aku. Azariah, Yahweh has helped to Abednego, servant of Nego or Nabu, the god of wisdom. In ancient times, your name was your identity. And theirs was just too Jewish, so it had to be changed. Even today, names mean a lot, and a lot of parents think very carefully about the names they give their children. I know I love the meaning of my name. Andrea means courage. And it has served me well throughout my life to think of my name and, and the meaning of it and to step out in courage. Well, for them, it was even more important because it was who they were. And they wanted to change that so that they are these loyal citizens of Babylon instead. But now something happens in the story. The story just kind of hits a pause. It has been ramping up, moving really quickly, just one thing after another, and then just boom, it stops. Because now the resistance begins. And it begins with one word, the word but. And verse 8, the Hebrews act. And it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel and his friends decide not to eat the food at this table for two reasons. Number one, because they were used to a different diet. Everything they ate was kosher meat without blood. And this was rich food that they were not used to. And so they chose, they opted to go with, in verse 12 it says, they asked for them to give them vegetables. The word there is the word for seed because it's anything that comes from a seed. And then water to drink. They chose to go with food that was from the original diet that God gave. But, I, but there was another reason for why they did this, and I believe this one is the most important one. Daniel and his friends decided that they will not allow the Babylonians to change their identity. That nobody will change who they are. And who are they? They are servants of the Most High God. They belong to God. They are children of God and nobody will change that. Peer pressure will not change who they are. Just because everyone around them is doing it 
does not mean that will determine what is right and what is wrong. Fear will not change it. Castration, pain, a future that now looks totally different will not change the fact that they are serving God. Exile and losing everything will not do it either. Difficulties of life will not shake their faith because they know that their God loves them. And even though things are not perfect, not the way they imagined them to be, helplessness was not going to take over their lives. Because God, they were taught their whole lives that God would never abandon them. And they are going to trust that. Now, what happens at the end to the, in the rest of the stories, uh, in the rest of the story? Daniel goes to the chief of the eunuchs and he says, can you please change our diet? And the chief says, no, because I'm afraid of the king. So then he goes to the steward who works for the chief. And he says, how about you give us a test? Just a 10-day test. And then let that determine whether this is a good idea or not. And the, ser the steward says, all right, since it's just 10 days, I can do that. And then it's amazing because in verse 15, it says that at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. I believe that this result was not necessarily just the diet they had, because a diet does not make such a huge difference in 10 days, but that this was a gift from God to them because he wanted this to work for them. So he gave them grace in the eyes of the steward. And then when the king eventually tests them, it says he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and the astrologers who were in this realm. And it says that God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God did something amazing where nobody could ignore that these people served the God of heaven. They were different. <laughs> they had the kind of wisdom that was not found in the realm. And by the way, they are compared to the magicians and the astrologers who were already counseling the king. These were mature wise men. And yet these young guys are found as wiser than them. All because they chose to trust in their God and God never abandons us. There's a picture that I absolutely love. And I'm sure that you have seen it because it has been replicated probably a million times. And different people have just done the same kind of picture. And it's a picture of the footsteps in the sand. And I'm just going to uh, paraphrase what this story says because different ones write it a little bit differently. But the picture shows two pairs of footsteps. 
And most of the time, they're right next to each other, but then the one pair of footsteps disappears, and there's just one, and then the other one appears again. And it's a conversation between God and a human. And the person says, well, God, okay, I see that you have walked with me throughout my life. It's really great to see your footsteps next to mine. But God, I just have this one question. Why is it that when I was going through the most difficult times in my life, that's when there is only one pair of footsteps. What happened to you, God? Why did you leave me? Where were you? And now God turns and answers. And God says, when you see just that one pair of footsteps, it's not because I abandoned you. It is because at that moment, I lifted you up and threw you on my shoulders and carried you. I love this picture of God because it is so true. God is a God who never lets go of us, who never abandons us. We can count on him. And hopelessness doesn't have to be an option. It's not something that we need to hold on to. In fact, the, this is the question for each one of us. Who are you? Are you a servant of the Most High God? Do you belong to God? Is your identity being a child of God? Well then, if it is, don't let go of it. And don't let anyone or anything else take it from you. Daniel and his friends are incredible examples of just never letting the world be the ones who make us who we are, but continually and always holding on to God so that He is the one who directs our path, who guides us and tells us where to go and what to do. Because only with Him will we make the kind of difference that they did in Babylon. I know what I want in my life. I don't want anything that's difficult to stand in the way of me choosing God. I don't want anything to change me, to be someone else other than a servant of God. And there are things that pressure us to do that. Don't let this world pressure you out of being a servant of God. Let's pray. Lord God, what an incredible story of these four friends who held on to you no matter what was going on in their lives, despite of the helplessness and, and hopeless feelings they would have felt. They chose 
to hold on to you and not let anyone change who they were. They were your servants. Help us, Lord, to do the same, to be servants of God so that wherever we go and whatever we do, that nothing changes that. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, with your fullness, and help us to live for you and to be servants, to be your servants. to understand that we are your children. And that's the most important thing that we need in our lives. That is our identity. Help us to hold on to that, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen.